this morning, we're going to be continuing in this sermon series on the attributes of God. So we've called it God is. God is the idea that just like, what does it, what is it like to be God? Who is he? What are his attributes? And so this morning, we're looking at God is faithful. God is faithful. We have been saying this each week. That A.W. Tozer in his book, Knowledge of the Holy, which I recommend, says what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. We tend by a secret law of the soul to move toward our mental image of God. So who is God, according to the Bible, who is God in your mind, your beliefs, Not what you would fill out on taking a test on who God is, but functionally what you really believe. Who is God? We've looked at God is triune. He's three in one. We've looked at God is good. We've looked one week that God is all wise, that God is just, that God is loving. And now this morning that God is faithful. And we'll be looking next that God is sovereign. So God is faithful this morning. So I want to say this before we jump in. God's faithfulness is really good news. You you agree, right? Amen? Yeah, God is faithful, and that's good news. Faithfulness is a bit on the scarce side, a little rare in our lives and in our day, right? Think about politicians. Think about the, the state of marriage and family in our culture. Think about friendships, perhaps even personally, your friendships where you've experienced betrayal. Think about the lengthiness of contracts just to get a cell phone. They don't trust you. They don't trust anybody. Nobody trusts anybody. Gone are the days of a handshake, of my word is my bond. Faithfulness is scarce. We really need God to be faithful. In his book on the attributes of God, another A.W., Pink, says, How refreshing then, how unspeakably blessed to lift our eyes above this scene of ruin and behold the one who is faithful in all things, faithful at all times. God is faithful. But, here's a question I have for you. And I wonder if anyone else struggles with this just a bit. Is God's faithfulness or are his promises really for me? Really for you? There's a way that we talk as Christians, Christianese or Christian speak, where we say something like, I'm claiming the promises of God. Have you heard that? I'm claiming them. I'm clinging to the promises of God right now. And it's great. Amen. But it's a little cliche sometimes. And one thing that I've seen in my life is that as I became a better student of the Bible, as I got a little, I guess you could say, smarter as a Christian, I began to outsmart myself, though. For example, I began to learn about verses that get misused and misapplied. 
So for example, maybe like it would be like a, a, a verse that I used to see as a promise. And then someone convinced me, you know, if you really look at that through a proper lens of hermeneutics and put it in its context and apply it in the right way, you'll realize that's actually not a promise. And then I'm like, ah, okay. I'll give you an example. These are, this is truth. Proverbs 22, 6. Train up a child in the way he will go, and when he is older, he will not depart from it. Claiming the promises. And then someone told me, you know, that's not a promise. <sighs> yeah, that's a proverb. That's a principle. That's saying this is what happens most of the time in God's ordered universe. It's a wisdom saying. It's a principle. So you could actually train up a child in the way you should go, and they may always and forever depart from that way. And God is still good, faithful, wise, all-knowing, all-powerful, all of that. I'm like, ah, okay, man, I was claiming the promise, and then I found out that's not a promise. And then here's another one. Jeremiah 29, 11. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, to prosper and not harm you. That's a great verse. Many of us are life verse. Lift up your arm if it's on your tattoo right now. Okay. It's a great verse. It's a really good verse. And, and there's, there is a promise in there. But that promise is not a blanket promise to individual Christians in North America of material prosperity or of some detailed plan of significance, purpose, and perhaps fame for our lives. It's not. It's a promise to Israel in exile in Babylon. First, directly. And then indirectly, and for sure by extension and application, we see God's character in his heart and how he loves his people. And we can ride on that a little bit, right? Amen. But we probably should be a little slower on the draw with, I'm claiming the promises, right? Well, what about this one? You know where two or three are gathered in his name. You know, that's how I justify staying home from church growing up. You know, well, we got, we ha- do we have two or three? All right. We have an official house church, probably more biblical than what they're doing at church today anyways. <laughs> Where two or three are gathered. And then someone showed me that the context for this verse is, ins- is a promise ensuring Jesus' presiding presence when a small congregation gathers to excommunicate someone in a case of church discipline. <laughs> Dang it! So... Here's the thing, too. And so, you know, over time, I began to learn that you got to understand Scripture correctly. You can't just take stuff and rip it out of its context and say, all right, I'm claiming the promises. But you can get so smart with that stuff that you outsmart yourself. And, and you're walking around as a Christian that's not claiming any promises, and you're joyless, and you have no confidence. And that's not the intent of being taught to understand the Bible better. So that's what happens, though, right? We only go so far, but we don't go all the way and become really good at understanding the promises that God actually has made to us in his word. In our home, as a dad, a home with kids, it's very often, maybe every day, that one of my kids says, Dad, you promised. And usually, I didn't even promise. They said, like, can it be a dessert night tonight? And I was like, maybe. 
10 minutes later, dad, you promised. Like, hold up. Y'all need to understand the promises of dad. And yet I get angry and and rightly so, because they do need to understand. But isn't it great that our kids look at us and they think, we, I, can, I can claim that promise, even if it wasn't really a promise. As a dad, aren't you, do you still feel connected and proud of that, that relationship? So we're going to look at promises this morning. We're going to look at God's faithfulness in two ways. First, proving God's faithfulness. And then personalizing God's faithfulness. And what we're going to do there is we're going to look at some promises that God actually makes to us and personalize those to our lives. And so let me uh, read a portion of Scripture briefly. Uh, We'll be looking all over God's Word this morning, but just I want to start with this portion of Scripture that highlights God's faithfulness, and then we will jump into our first point after a word of prayer. Hebrews 10, 19-25. Therefore, brothers... Since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Pray with me. God, we thank you this morning for your word and for the promises in your word, God, that apply so particularly to our lives. Lord, we live among people who are unfaithful and we ourselves are so often unfaithful. And so God, we rest on your faithfulness this morning. We need your faithfulness this morning. Jesus, we thank you that you are the picture of the faithfulness of God. You are the same today, yesterday, and tomorrow. You keep all your promises to us. You are the yes to the promises of God. We worship you this morning. Jesus, we pray that you would teach us something today, Holy Spirit. In your name we pray. Amen. So first, proving God's faithfulness. We just want to kind of start there. I think it's important that we, you know, get it right, that we understand it in our minds, that we kind of come to a conviction that God is faithful. And then we need to go over to another part of our soul and we need to personalize it, right? But proving God's faithfulness, just knowing that he is faithful. So what does it even mean, faithfulness? Webster's Dictionary defines it as steadfast in affection or allegiance, loyal, firm in adherence to promises, or in observation of duty. How about a definition from a theology book? Okay, I got one. 
faithfulness of God from systematic theology. Wayne Grudem, he says, God, faithfulness means that God will always do what he has said and fulfill what he has promised. Proving God's faithfulness. When you come to the English language and thinking about this idea of faith or faithfulness, we have different words, right? Those two words mean very different things. Faith really means to rely on, you could even say, the faithfulness of another. Faith is something you do or something you trust in, right? Faith. Faithfulness, though, when we say it in our common way of talking, is more of a character trait of a person. Faithful. So faith and faithful, these are different words. And the faithful person is full of what? Faith. Faithful. So in the English language, they're very, they're very different words and they have different concepts and there's more of a distinction when you come to the Bible. The words are all interchangeable. Faith and faithful. It'd be the same word in the original language of the Bible, the Greek or the Hebrew. In the Old Testament, for example, the key word in the Hebrew, and we're not having a seminary class today, but I'm just sharing a couple things with you because I think it's kind of interesting. Proving God's faithfulness, in part, is understanding it. The, the, the Hebrew word, maybe you've heard the word amen, right? It's a Hebrew word. That's why it cannot be a woman. That's just kind of interesting. That was a political thing that happened last year. But amen, or emuna, or emet, it's a word group in Hebrew. Anyways, it means faithfulness, steadfastness, trustworthiness, or reliability. That's what it means. So let me show it to you. Psalm 36, 5 says, Your steadfast love, O Lord, extends to the heavens your faithfulness. The word is amen to the clouds. You might be like, where are the verses, Matt? <laughs> Normally we throw a bunch of verses on the screen, but I kind of started thinking, I think it would be exciting to hear the, the pages turning in holiness this morning. So go ahead. You know what I'm saying? That sound... That sound of God's people, you know, Satan hides when he hears all the pages flipping, okay? So he doesn't hide when you just start moving around on your iPhone. He hides when he hears the real pages flipping. Um, so anyways, yeah, we don't have the verses. Um, Psalm 89, verse 14, righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne, steadfast love and faithfulness. Emmet, faithfulness go before you. And so really the thing, the thing about God that the Old Testament talks about and sometimes about people in the Old Testament is are you full of emmet? Are you full of reliability, steadfastness, trustworthiness? And the point is, is that God is completely full of emmet. That's what he's full of. That could be like a sermon title, right? Are you full of emmet or full of it, Right? full of truth and faithfulness. In the New Testament, it's similar. The words are just interchangeable. The Greek pistis means faith, belief, firm persuasion, or the word aletheia means truth, truthful, sincerity. These all can be used for the words faithful or faith. I'll show you. 
Ephesians 2, for by grace you have been saved through faith, pistis. And this is not your own doing, it's the gift of God. Watch this, here's the same word, 2 Timothy 2. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to pistis, men, faithful men, who will be able to teach others also. That word aletheia, Romans 3, 4. I love this verse. You could just write down Romans 3, 4 in your notes. What if some are unfaithful? Does their faithlessness nullify the faithfulness of God? That's the word pistis. And then he says, by no means let God be aletheia, though everyone were a liar. See, it's just cool. It's fun. It's, this is the words of faithfulness in the Bible. So proving God's faithfulness, we're going to have four points and, of course, alliterated with a C so that we can get Christ in there at some point. That's how that works if you want the preacher trick. So four proofs of God's faithfulness. The first one is creation. Creation. The creator who has caused the sun to rise every day for thousands of years. We set our clocks to it. We're not faithful. He is. That's why we set our clocks to Him. What goes up must come down, our Creator determined. He causes the seasons to change, fall, winter, spring, summer. For thousands upon thousands of years, it's been the same way. We base our diet on it. We pick our clothes based upon what we've learned from it. We plan our trips around it. We organize our entire lives around these consistent realities of our Creator. What adjective is most fitting to describe this aspect of our Creator's creation? Dare we say, faithfulness. He's faithful. All of creation just just puts his faithfulness on display to us. Sometimes it's right there. It's so obvious. We just have to look at it. Character. Creation and now God's character. God's self-revelation in his word that he is faithful. We've been studying the attributes of God. This series is God is, right? And I think it's important that we remember that, that all of God's attributes, they're not divided up. Like we're doing that for the purpose of just going through it in a study, but, but it's all God. Tozer says we can think of them separately, but they cannot be separated. Why do I share that here with faithfulness? Because faithfulness is one of the attributes of God that just brings all of them together in a pretty amazing way. God is faithful. Indeed, God can be faithful because of his other perfect attributes. God is triune. The creation of us does not make God faithful. The creation of us and our desire and need for him to be faithful and give us promises doesn't make him faithful as a triune God who's existed in perfect community for all eternity. He's always been not what he does, it's who he is. He's all-knowing, so he will never say, I forgot to be faithful. He's all-wise, he'll never say, I couldn't figure out how to be faithful. He's unchanging, he won't say, I decided not to be faithful. 
He's all-powerful. He won't say he's unable to be faithful. He's holy. He cannot be unfaithful. He does not lie. He's sovereign. He cannot be thwarted from being faithful. And he's all-good and all-loving. He wants to always be faithful. So all of his attributes, they come together in his perfect character as evidence and proof of his faithfulness. But it's not just stopping there. In the Word, God self-reveals Himself as the faithful God. Exodus 34, the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with Moses there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. And what? Do you know? Faithfulness. God reveals Himself as faithful. Deuteronomy 7, 9. Know therefore that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love Him and keep His commandment to a thousand generations. Numbers 23, 19. God is not a man that He should lie or a son of man that He should change His mind. Has He said it? Will He not do it? Has He spoken? Will it not be fulfilled? Lamentations 3, 22. Through 23, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Why do we stop there? Great is thy faithfulness. Here's the next part. His mercies are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. 2 Timothy 2.11, Paul says this saying is trustworthy. He says that six times in the New Testament. So this is in the top six. He says, if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. Do you see what's going on here? What we do, he does. Do you see that? So what are you expecting when he says, if we are faithless, what are you expecting? Paul's like, curveball, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. God is faithful. His creation proves it. His character proves it. And then there are cases in the Bible that prove it so profoundly. Just as a quick point, God told Abraham and his wife Sarah that a year from now, you guys are having a baby son at the age of 90. They laughed didn't believe, but they did believe. Abraham believed. One year later, Genesis 21, Isaac is born. God is faithful. God told Abraham later, your descendants, your offspring, will be sojourners sojourners in a land not their own for 400 years. He says it specifically that way. What happens? Exactly what God said would happen. Why? Because he's faithful. Because as Proverbs 30, verse 5 said, every word of God proves true. So we have creation, we have character of God, we have cases in the Bible, you could list so many, but finally, Christ. Proving God is faithful, looking now at Christ, Jesus' birth, His death, His resurrection, and His final return, they all declare to you the faithfulness of God. Consider The fact that 800 years before Jesus was born, the prophet Isaiah tells of the Prince of Peace who will be born of a virgin. 
Consider how in Luke 1, Gabriel comes to the Virgin Mary and says, you will conceive by the Holy Spirit, have a son, and name him Jesus. The birth of Christ is not just about Christmas presents. It's about the faithfulness of God. It's not just that it happened. It's that it was promised, then it happened, and God is faithful because of that. Mark 8, Jesus tells his disciples that he is going to die on a cross, be buried, and then rise victorious over the tomb. He began to teach them, Mark 8, 31, that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. So what happens? Proving Jesus to be the faithful God that he is, exactly what he said would happen, happens. Luke 24, 6, his disciples are there struggling to believe in the faithfulness of God like us, and the angel says to them, he's not here. He is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee? God is faithful in the birth of Christ, in the death and resurrection of Christ. And friends, even in the return of Christ, Revelation 19.11 says Jesus will return riding on a white horse with a tattoo on his leg. What do you think the tattoo says? Faithful and true. And in righteousness, he judges and makes war. God is faithful. Creation. His character, all of his attributes together make him faithful. The cases that we see in the Bible. And then most of all, Jesus Christ. So, proving God's faithfulness, just kind of coming to a place, not maybe for the first time for a lot of you, but maybe in a new way this morning, just coming to a place of being like, hey, you know what? Case closed. God is faithful. Regardless of what's going on in my life, like, God really is faithful. Just choosing to, to rest there. And now let's move to that second point, personalizing God's faithfulness. Trusting in the promises God has actually made to me. When I began this morning, we talked about how when we become students of the Bible, we can outsmart ourselves sometimes. It's not really smart though, is it? And we become sad and empty when it comes to the amazing faithfulness of the promises of God. So what promises from the Bible can we take home and apply this week? And I'm just going to share this morning seven. There are so many, thousands. Seven big ones this morning. Number one, salvation. Salvation. John 3.16. Just think of this for what it is as a promise from God. And just think about how this huge part of your life, your salvation, rests on claiming the promise of God about the matter of salvation. And it rests on the understanding that God is faithful to His promises. John 3.16. God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. Here it is. That whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. 
That's a promise from a faithful God. He cannot break his promises. If you put your faith in Jesus Christ, his one and only son, that he sent to die on the cross for your sins, you will be saved. He cannot deny himself. What about a secure salvation? John 10, 27. My sheep hear my voice. This is Jesus speaking. And I know them. And they follow me. I give them eternal life. Here it is. And they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. Hello. Promise. God is faithful. Jesus said that. A secure salvation. A way out of temptation. A way out of temptation. This is so practical for our lives. We struggle with temptation, all kinds of temptation. Ways that we cope with stress, ways that we privately you know, go about our lives. We wouldn't want everyone to know, and yet these are our temptations. And it's part of life. Jesus was tempted, yet he was without sin. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. This is to you, believer. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. Isn't that good that it says that? Because we so often are like, well, I'm special. I'm actually really special. I have a very unique situation. No temptation has overtaken you that's not common to man. God is faithful. And He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, He will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. A way out of temptation. Number four, forgiveness when we fail. 1 John 1, verse 9. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now let's take that and let's make it real personal. Think about it. If you commit a sin, and we all will today and we all do, but if you're one of God's people, you're a son or a daughter through faith in Christ, and this verse is God's promise to you that if we confess our sins, that doesn't mean going to a Roman Catholic priest and having confession time. That means, the word confess means to agree with God about your sin. If you confess to God, I agree with you, I have sinned. I am sorry. What does it say? He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. So just imagine that you've, you've committed some sin. And a friend comes to you, maybe a friend in your fellowship group, hopefully that would be the case, we're starting those this week, comes to you, and you confess your sin to them, and together that friend helps you confess that sin to God, or maybe you do this on your own. No friend at all. And then your friend asks you, so did God forgive you? What do you say? I don't know. I mean, I I didn't feel anything different. I don't know. I mean, I I hope so. Nope. Start over. We're going to read the verse again. We're going to do this over. 
If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Stop focusing on you. God is faithful. God is faithful. He is telling you, if you confess your sins, He is faithful and just to forgive our sins. So you ask Him, so, all right, we did it. So, did God forgive you this time? You're like, well, I'm trying to believe. I really think He did. It's like, hey, we're starting over again. We'll do it as many times as we need to until we focus on the faithfulness of God in this promise. And we really let God forgive us. Not that we have any control or say. Number five, he promises to always be with us. He promises to always be with us. Hebrews 13, keep your life free from the love of money, And be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Think about that. How God promises us as believers his presence. Joshua 1.5, I will be with you. 2 Corinthians 4.9, Paul says, We're persecuted but not forsaken. Jesus promises, not just the special people in the Bible like Joshua and Paul, Jesus promises all of his people, particularly through the Holy Spirit, that he will not forsake us. He will always be with us. It's a promise. God cannot break his promises. He is faithful. What a promise. We just have two more quick ones, and and then we're going to respond this morning from our hearts in singing. Number six. To finish his work in us. God promises you to finish his work in you. Philippians 1.6 I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. God will complete all of his assignments. God will finish and get an A plus on all of his projects. He will continue to work in your life until the day that Jesus returns. He is faithful. And lastly, and importantly, number seven, God promises to work all things for our good. Romans 8, 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to So this morning, we've been looking at the faithfulness of God, this attribute, this thing about who God is, that he is faithful, proving God's faithfulness, personalizing God's faithfulness, trusting in the promises that God has actually made to us. His promises are great because he is faithful. We know that he will keep them. And so we take these promises and many more like them. We bow before the Lord say, Dad, you promised. So let's close in prayer. Respond in song.